Welcome to the Global Missions Inc. podcast. This week's episode features Herrick Holt. We've had some wonderful times of meeting, but in my heart there is a great desire to see some of you dear people go home well. I can't shake it. It's there. Jesus came both doing he would give a man his sight and then he could teach him. I always marvel at the way he taught. He used usually the parabolic language and he left something that they could grasp with their hearts. So he talked about sheep, horses, dogs and everything that you wouldn't think he would. But he had such a, a ministry of putting them into place where even you, though the story's been told over the centuries, linger in the warm recesses of your heart. And today I have a real deep desire for all of you that are laboring under infirmities. I, I somehow, I know I have infirmities, but somehow I feel, as it has been already said by the other brethren, we are living, we should, we should be living in another level of life. I watched the conflict, I'm going to just let you stand till you rest in a minute. I watched the conflict of the Jewish people in the Near East, uh, with keen interest. I've read it and reread it. I've gathered material on it. And I thought possibly we're being set for that tremendous stage of the final conflict. I would like to be alive when it is on, when the earth shakes, reels to and fro, and every power that man has assembled, every babble that he's built, will come tumbling around his ears. When the, the oaths in high places that have mocked his name, this name Emmanuel, that they will have to bow that knee and say, he surely had a name that was above every name that history has ever borne. I thought that if, if somehow that the the nation of the earth would want that oil, uh, that they would set up the battlefront to get it, that Armageddon would come in. I possibly wouldn't even know Armageddon if it was to be trans. Uh, uh, I want a word there. Well, if it operated before my very eyes. I possibly wouldn't know it. I thought the six-day war was a fantastic thing. The results were fantastic. But if Armageddon went by in the stages of the prophetic utterance and moved in, in perfect order to the utterance and was all finished, and then that day when his feet was to come and to touch the Mount of Olives, and the Mount of Olives was to divide four ways to open a great passageway of water to serve the Near East. And he would come in that time. I would like to see when the drama of all of, of the human race is coming to its end, the grand finale of the times of the Gentiles, the closing, uh, uh, the closing curtain 
of the church coming into its very own. And then the manifestation of the Son whom you all love. And I know you love him because you sing about him. And then to see coming on that, across that platform once again, humanity. Not in the crumpled, broken form that I now live in, but in mortality, having literally swallowed it up in immortality. And it shall be brought to pass, as the Scriptures have declared it, that it should be that you will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Oh, no prayer can touch my heart more than that. I hope that even heaven's listening to it tonight. I welcome it. As I read the revelation, John cried, and he said, Oh, even so come, Lord Jesus. I have bowed my knee, and with a distress of soul, I've said the very same thing. Even so come, Lord Jesus. You may be seated. One of the great things that I... I constantly dream about is the solidarity of the church, the divine appointments that are given to them. I hope somehow everybody will look upon an elder and a deacon as a divine appointment. And when they come to you uh, to anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord, it would just be like standing before in that great temple of yesteryears, and the high priest come and anoint you with oil according to the oracles so that you might be made well. It wouldn't be any greater back there because I believe the greatest has come. And God is appointing men in many parts and in many orders uh, to bear out the testimony to carry forth this message concerning his church. His church is not of our building, as Brother Brother Livingston said. It's not of our building. It doesn't belong to us. It's universal. It's timeless. It's not made just for time. It's, a, it's something that go, will go into the eons. It's not something that you can figure how it will work in the way down the road. It's in the embryo. And in the embryo, it According to the men that know, I quote only from them because I don't know anything about it, all those, uh, those, the whole engineering, all the engineering is done in that very small, small microscopic uh, life. And I don't know, how can you understand creation when God can take and put in microscopic form the color of the child's eyes, the shape of his nose, and the, so many of the characteristics. He can put it into that child. I think, after seeing the uh, documentary on, on childbirth, I wonder that a child is even born. It seems that all the odds are set against it. The whole system of conception... It's so, it's so planned of God that the, the invasion of substances there to, to stop the, uh, the conception coming into the, in, into birth. There's so many hindrances. 
I wonder many times why all that machinery uh, should be used, but God created it that way. It's beyond us. And I believe that somehow it, it, it happens to you, you that struggle to be spiritual. My, we could just be somehow like children, uh, instead of getting grown up. You know when you get growed up, you get wrinkles. You get a slower step. Your vision becomes impaired. Your hearing uh, is is uh, affected by many voices. These things all change. But when a, ch- a little baby comes along, I always like to look at the shape of their head. This reminds me of uh, of Irma's mother. She'd like to see the shape of the head of the man that designed this building, who who built it without windows. Every time I see a building without windows, I think of Irma's mother. A good way to remember her. (laughs) Yes, a child's head has such a a lovely shape. You know, a woman's nose never really fully matures until she's about 21. She may get into business uh, where it's not supposed to be, even when it's small. But nevertheless, it doesn't really come. uh, If you were to take the... Uh, and engineer the shape of the, the face and so on, you'll find that it's lacking until she's about 21. But she used it well in her youth. But a baby, isn't it a wonderful thing? Aren't they wonderful? Aren't they wonderful when they're newborn? I watched a newborn Christian here a few weeks ago. Uh, Brother Larkins knows more about it than I do, but she was just so full of life, so full, so effervescent. So, so warmer, the expression just literally oozed out of her, her joy that she'd found in Jesus. And that's the same with a child when they're growing up. I love, I love them when they're, when they're so small and they're, they're easy to manage. But when a, a young girl leaves 12 and she starts to hit the teens, she grows long and skinny. If you could, Freeze her and sharpen her feet. You could drive her into the ground for a fence post. (laughs) But after a while, that same little girl changes so much that when you'll maybe meet her, you won't even recognize her. All this is in that incomparable thing that God designs. And I think if he designed you uh, for the human race, are they, for to belong to the church eternal, you'll have added beauty. There are virtues that's added to you, women, that add a depth of warmth by the church that you cannot find in all the, the realms around you. You can go out and you can put on the tinsel decorations. You can make your eyes green. You know, those eyes that are so, have such a... A strange green. I remember once uh, we had been hunting. I was only an apprentice, and the boss took me out. I was the watchdog. I'd found his pheasants. He just shot them. But I'm glad I was getting paid for going out with him. And uh, and I gathered those pheasants. And he said, well, Eric, he said, uh, we were up in Courtney at this time working uh, for one of the grain companies. Building a building for them. He said we'll have to hang them a while and then we'll eat them. 
I'd never had a pheasant that had been hung very long. And I said, how long did you hang them? He said, about seven days. Where are you going to hang them? Outside there, and by where it's kind of cool and where we were building. So eventually these pheasants had hung for seven days. And then when I was plucking them, I noticed the extreme uh, end of the pheasant was getting green. A kind of a, uh, a fluorescent green. Reminds me today many times when I see the eyeballs of the up and coming young. <laughs> that is right. That always reflects my memory. I don't know why I remember what I remember, but I remember things I shouldn't remember, I guess. Now, if you are so decorated, it's no offense to you. It was no offense to the pheasant either. <laughs> you might get buried earlier, that's the only thing. <laughs> or cooked. I shouldn't get on to these things. But it, I am anxious, above all things, that this church, this people, will be a... Uh, be the time, the, the, uh, we'll be at, we will have arrived historically at the place where I think Israel has arrived historically. Having given a very lengthy study on Israel, I, I would, wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't put too much, uh, on the future. I think we are coming close, very, very close to that titanic struggle on that many, many things will change. And if it's going to change there, it's going to change with the church. It's going to be a great day. So hold loose, as Brother Houghton used to say, hold loose the temporal thing. Don't, don't treat them as they, they are the permanent. Don't aspire to things that's going to jeopardize you. Watch the way you're walking as you receive the admonition this morning. When you temper, uh, tamper with the things that the world tampers with so they can't tell the difference between you and the rest of the world, you're in a very dangerous place. You are like the people at the time that Jesus referred to, uh, to put his final approvement on the historic reality of the flood. He said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. You'll be marrying. And I thought, isn't that a funny thing for him to say when I first read that? You'll be marrying. That doesn't seem to be a very important uh, thing to state. But it means this, that when you're going to get married, you're going to think of a house. You're going to think of the future. You're going to think of all your children, putting your sons and daughters through the university, coming out doctors, lawyers, or some profession. You're going to have a long maze view of your life. Not thinking that maybe we're right today uh, sitting on a bombshell. And so you'll marry, and you'll, you'll go all through the ceremony, and you'll maybe dip right your ladle right into the world, and you'll want it exactly the way the world has it. You want your music after it. You want your harps to play and the feet to dance and all of that. You want to sip at the wine that the admonition was against this morning uh, because that's the custom. Yes, it's, it, well, it is the custom. That's the way they do it. But you'd be far better off 
having somebody say over you those prophetic utterances pertaining to your life and lay the hands of an epi- uh, of the Episcopal body upon you and, and put a, an ordination upon you and your marriage, if there was no band, if there was no ceremony, if there was no cake, if there was no fancy robe ten feet long coming down the aisle behind you, you'd be far better. You'd have a more sure way. And especially in the hour that we're now living. Being able to name the characters that are involved in this great uh, episode of the end time for the Israeli people, having looked in the, into the short background of restoration, I can't see God waiting too long before He's put it, going to put an end uh, to the uh, to those horrible experiences that have been perpetrated upon a people over not over the one Holocaust. There's Holocaust after Holocaust. You can read their history. I wonder that they're even alive. My heart, uh, I can't help but love them because I know what they've gone through. They are a despised people. But as I talk to those that belong to that race, I can see where we could come together. They are a one race that's gone, come down through the ages been kicked out of their homeland and and are finding it a hard time to get the support they need and the church is going through the bruising situation with them. But there is a place where we can both meet and that is Calvary. Calvary can bring those two great nations into one body quite easily. When I bend at Calvary, I bend as a, a member of the human race, when they bend at Calvary, they've been as one of the human race, even though they've had type and shadow uh, leading them down the pathway of history. And though they haven't been in their homeland, though it was promised to them, now we have a, a great uh, political struggle of the Arabs against the Jews, and people are mediocre in their judgment, you cannot be mediocre in their judgment. That's a, that promises to them. And it's, it is well identified. And God said to, uh, to kind of warn kings from being too austere. He said, if you can take the stars from the heaven and throw them down, then you can turn Israel down. We had one man in my lifetime rise up and leaving his paintbrush behind became quite fluent with words and came on the scene that it seemed ordained for him to come. And swinging a nation that should have known better to follow him. And when he gained power by the election and knocking down what he didn't want, and then there came in his heart that his hostile situation, he said, I will exterminate all of Israel. I could hear the angels of heaven saying, Thou fool, this day, your days are numbered. You cannot do it. But the church to you is important. It is important. It's the agent that God will use to bring life to you. There are men said in the church that if they will walk in the full order of their gift and ministry... There should be no sickness stand against us. 
we should walk the rest of the way like Israel did, without disease or plague coming upon them. Even when they murmured and spoke about authorities, and the scorpions that Bob was talking about this morning were let loose upon them, and they cried and they cried unto God. And God said to Moses, Make a serpent of brass and hang it on a pole. And any man that will look upon that will be healed regardless of where he is bitten, regardless of how little life he's got left in him. Just look at it. In that strange and Jesus talking to Nicodemus said the very same thing. If I be lifted up from the earth, I, as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, but he said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw men unto me. He'll do it. That serpent is that great healing uh, uh, virtue that was given to it in the Old Testament. Was just looking at a brass. Now we have a redeemer of redeemers. You may sing about his name, but you can never sing. There, is, there are no words. There are no, there's no melody. Not if you were to group, uh, group all the classical uh, units that we have upon the earth and somehow try to combine an anthem or some symphony about him. You can't, there's, there, they'd be sort of arrangement because he excels all beauty. He has come as a lonely little carpenter playing in the shavings with his father until the time came when he was to enter into his ministry. A man, a man unexcelled, a man that was full of compassion, a man that tried all the time uh, to urge people to walk right. I remember the account that uh, Muggeridge says when he was viewing the Catholic clergy, he found them very distant. He, he thought there was a lot to... Like that, like that story that Irwin told you. Who wants them for a friend? They, they were all politics, and he knew it well. And he'd write scathing attacks upon them. But when he was one day... Uh, being more turned towards the spiritual things, he was talking to Mother Teresa in India. And he said to her, apologetically, he said, what about Cardinal so-and-so? What about the behavior of all this? What about the banking system you've got so corrupted? This is their own bank. And she said to him, and I'll always remember this. She said, Jesus had twelve. One betrayed him, and the rest left him. Isn't that something? Imagine if all of you were to walk about it here today and say to the ministries, we'll never be back. Our hearts will be bowed down into the dirt. We grieve and cry about you. But Jesus had the same. No man ever spake like this man. No man has ever given you comfort like this man can give you. You can play with the doctrines and things that you try to figure out. They'll never give you the comfort that he can give you. 
He can come when you have no friends left and walk in by you. I never tire of telling the story that I heard from the father's lips. Oh, he was, he was being interviewed because he belonged to the Catholic clergy. I don't have anything against that. It just happened to be my remarks, that's all, today. The, this man had taught in one of their, their universities in Philadelphia, taught lots of young up-and-coming graduates, you know, and uh, sent them out to the various places and went through all the ceremonies. He himself didn't believe too much of what he was teaching. He'd become nearly atheistic until one day he did literally turn his back on it and started uh, working in business and did well. When he was in business and, uh, and succeeded well, he married one of the girls from the Catholic Church. She was a nun who had come, gone through the similar experience. And they, when they had a child, the child was mongoloid. Oh my, oh my, oh, your heart would, would go out to that child. And when he saw the child, it really, it really threw him. Any, any thought he had for God went right out of his boots. And he said to his dear wife, I don't care what you do with that child, but don't you ever bring it home. But the mother was so, so moved because she had this child. Every day she walked to the hospital and she spent time holding the, the youngster. This went into weeks and then into months. And no hope for the child. The man grew bitter with the years. Until one day he got news from one of his friends from Philadelphia about a, a kind of a charismatic move in the big cathedral. And uh, he didn't, that didn't impress him. Until he, he said, well, who's running the thing? And they named the, the, the father that was running it. Oh, man, he said he was always very religious. He was sure a religious fellow. So, somehow or other the word got, that, got around and he communicated with this man in Philadelphia. And, the, and he, told the, he told the young man, which was a, one of his own graduates, what had happened to him, that he'd left the church. He was finished with it. He didn't believe in God or anything like that. Uh, but he had a child that was mongoloid and it's causing a great upset in his family because he can't stand it coming home. And so the, the man said, why don't you and your wife come down to Philadelphia? Bring the child. Well, he wasn't too much for that, but he eventually his wife, from between them, they agreed to take it. And so when they got to Philadelphia... And they went to the big cathedral where many people were, were jamming it. The, uh, he listened to it and they pushed him away up in the front part there. And there was a man standing by him who was very sick. 
And all of a sudden he fell down and he started to praise and glorify God. He thought, my, I've got myself into something now. But the man got up, he said, I made whole, every bit whole, like the same thing can happen to you. But this young priest invited him to the manse. He said, my mother will be there and a few friends. And so they went to the manse and they laid the child on the floor. This little mongoloid girl. And uh, he said the priest prayed a little prayer and then got up. They went on talking. Then he said later on in the evening he went over and he said he just took hold of the little girl's face and held it in his hands like that. And he said, I was all eyes. And he said, I never heard a man pray with such authority or such fervency. And he said, I looked there and the blank look of my little girl across the forehead there, that blank shape of the nose, the nose bridge was raised so it was all out of shape. She's, he said, the, the whole cranium started to move and the eyes went back into their sockets properly and the mouth, the bulging mouth all changed and the whole shape of the back of the cranium changed and moved up into place. And he said when his hands were off, the little girl was every bit whole. I can't, I don't know what to say other than, oh God, let that sweep the church. Let let nothing stand in our way. Let the blind come, let the deaf come, let the lame come. And as much as we, we will endeavor by the grace of God, by consecration and all that it entailed in finding what God wants for these things, I believe it will come to the church. I do. You that think that years are just a must, you deteriorate just because of years. Don't take years as just something that brings on deterioration. It will under the normal structure. But this Jesus, who I'm talking about, he said, I am life. I've come with life. I'll give you life. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. He is the entire doctrine of the church. His life is the driving force of the church. His ever-presence, he can hear me as I am talking about him. The resurrection gave him that power that he could be in this building and still be in China. That's the power of the resurrection. When that life happens to me, if the Armageddon finished in five or six years from now, and I'm walking across that stage and resurrection life touches this fragile being of mine and I'm thrust into a timeless area, I wouldn't know how to shout, but I'll guarantee I'll make a racket. I will dance, I will jump for joy as I see all the halt of all ages come, coming into life and life abundantly that Calvary has brought to the human race. We don't want to toy with non-essentials. We don't want to be humbugged by trivia. 
we are agents of a reconciliation. I help but think as Brother Holt was, was uh, speaking there about that healing. What the scripture says about Jesus coming into a city in the evening. And they brought all manner of sick to him. And they were they touched the hem of his garment, and he touched them, and they were healed. He cast out evil spirits. They were delivered. And I was just uh, uh, looking in the scriptures uh, concerning that place, because he came teaching and preaching the kingdom of God and healing the sick. And in Hebrews, the, the 13th chapter, it uh, and... Uh, I'll give you the verse because some of us that uh, have read the scriptures quite a bit know where they are. We have a tendency to say you all know and uh, forget that there was a time when we didn't know and uh, the younger ones would give you the scripture. But in the 13th chapter of Hebrews, the 8th verse, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, forever. This one that came and unstopped uh, the deaf ears is the same today. This one that walked the shores of Galilee and, uh, and uh, walked upon the waters, and when they brought the sick to him and he touched them and they were made whole, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And uh, we were in the hospital in Priestville, one time, and there was about six of the uh, folks there, and they walked down the the uh, corridor, and they had a uh, brother Irwin had his guitar, brother Irwin Amundsen, and they played the guitar and walked down through the corridor of the hospital, and the nurses were wheeling the folks that uh, couldn't walk to the doors, bring them to the doors. The others they aided to the door. It was a beautiful sight. I longed for the day when we would walk down, just touch them and uh, and see them whole. But they were, their hearts were going out. My, uh, Merv and I had the privilege of visiting a lady that I knew for many years who had belonged to the Communist Party. And Merv had the joy of leading her to the Lord about a year before. And uh, he, we were there visiting her. And she said, uh, isn't it beautiful? There was also sitting in the home people that uh, are sitting in the hospital there in that room, people that I knew for many years that had belonged uh, uh, to a denomination that would never allow them to attend this type of a service. Uh, they uh, and uh, and there they sat and enjoyed it. They had been in some of our services. We're living in a day when God is reaching out, and He's reaching out in many many ways. This is a many-membered body today. There will be people touched uh, as you sing. And don't, uh, don't worry. Always do the best you can with your talent. But uh, remember this. There's something far more important than how you pronounce your words when you sing, and that is how much life they have in them. And that comes by prayer. Let us, uh, as we prepare our hearts for the meeting tonight, remember that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There are people that would desire to be prayed for today, uh, but, you know, to be prayed for is not enough. What they really want is to be healed. You intercessors, if you have 
burden on your heart to pray for the sick and that these sick ones might be healed before they go home tonight. There's a prayer room here. And if you haven't got a quiet place where you're staying, just come into the prayer room and and don't visit in that prayer room. Never visit in that prayer room. That's the, just let it be quiet uh, before the Lord. Uh, be quiet there before the Lord. And uh, uh, Brother Merv mentioned this last night, and I think it's very good to remember when you come into the tabernacle here to to be reverent before the Lord in your you know, any speaking you do, even after the service. It's good. Uh, the first night there was a lot of loud laughter, and I know that you enjoy seeing one another and all. But I just somehow it just kind of bothered me that we're in the house of the Lord and we're carrying on like we're in some theater, and we should be careful about that. Just because this is the this is the area where there is still such a beautiful presence, and yet we can kind of overlook it. We I think we have to watch that kind of a thing. Well, you've had two messages today, so you don't need another one. Let's stand. Father, as the brethren have expressed this morning as they've ministered to us, the burden that is on their heart for those that are uh, sick and afflicted, Lord, we we look to you that you might move uh, by your Holy Spirit, that uh, you might touch them, dear Lord, that there might be no sick among us. Father, tonight... We ask you to prepare our hearts. We would long that you would come and that your presence uh, would be uh, be in our midst to heal the sick, whether it's by the laying on of the hands or whether it is by you walking up the corridors and, and through the rows and touching whom you will, for you are the say you are the same yesterday, today and forever. Touch the sick, dear Lord. Let them feel that presence even now, dear Lord, as we pray. For we commit them all to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. If you would like more information about the moving of God's Spirit or resources for your spiritual life, please visit our website at www.globalmissionsinc.org.